Let's talk a bunch of different topics. How her career get there. This is a podcast with Lauren Ascari. This is the Lauren Asgari podcast, How'd Her Career Get There? And my guest today is Loretta Stokes, who is the Director of Engineering at Eventbrite. Welcome, Loretta. Hello, everyone. So let's jump right into it. And before we start talking about you, let's give a little bit of an overview to kind of set the, uh, set the table about, about Eventbrite. So can you kind of give just the overview of uh, what Eventbrite does? So Eventbrite is a ticketing platform that anyone can use. So you can literally go on there and create your own event. Uh, some of the events that are hosted on our platform are music festivals, tech events, uh, workshops, yoga classes, just about anything that you can imagine. Um, it's a self-service platform that's great. It's on the web. You can go there and get started right away. And let's fast uh, or not fast forward let's rewind a little bit to uh, to give some background on you so uh, kind of your I guess I'll call it your origin story where'd you grow up how many siblings tell me a little bit about you as a little girl I grew up uh, about an hour and a half uh, in in the state of Kentucky on a farm I had two older brothers uh, on that farm we raised cattle we raised tobacco uh, Every day was there was something to do. It was a, an adventure. I loved being outdoors, but the two older brothers especially, that really shaped me. I was always uh, following their footsteps or in their shadows trying to do the same things they were. And what, when you, do you remember when you were little what you wanted to be when you grew up? When I grew up, my, my mother was a teacher and that really had an impression on me so I imagined myself somewhat following in her footsteps I loved math she taught math and it felt like a natural progression there was a lot of examples of uh, you know other women that uh, in our family that also were teachers and so growing up then then fast forward a little bit to uh, so high school college what did you study in college and then at what point did it change for you and i said earlier grow up i actually don't like saying that and the like any of us ever really grow up we're all just big kids but fast forward a little bit to what you studied in college and then how you kind of shifted directions from being a teacher to what you're doing now i originally started off in uh education so i started off you know math i started taking a lot of math classes and I hadn't declared a major yet, but I was kind of put myself on that path. Uh, however, as, as I started taking a few of my first education classes, it was an education psychology class specifically. Uh, I got midway through that class and it was kind of during some of those moments to where I knew that I wasn't, I wasn't meant to be a teacher. Uh, the, the other people in the class, they were so, they were really into it. And myself kind of thinking about the psychology piece was actually a little bit scary for me. So kind of midway through that, I was like, I, I don't think this is for me. But then at the same time, that is when, you know, really the internet started and w was really starting to catch on and become a lot more popular and usable. So, you know, I was using computers a whole lot. Uh, it was this new degree program, so I was like, oh, this really seems really cool. So I, I 
think maybe maybe I want to go do that. And in talking with my mother, I kind of expressed some interest about, hey, you know, they say if you can do the math that you can program. And so I was like, yeah, I like math. It sounds something logical if I don't want to teach. And my mother said to me, well, if, you, if you're going to do this, you need to figure out if really programming is something that you want to do. She had a book. Uh, one of the other teachers at my high school taught a class, but I, I didn't get the opportunity to take it. But she gave me one of her books and said, if you want to program, you need to, you need to sit down and try writing one of these programs out of this book. So I flipped through, found one, sat down, wrote the program, and immediately it gave me so much satisfaction, it was a lot of fun. So the the first program that I wrote was actually a ball that dropped and crashed. (laughs) (laughs) And coincidentally, even after I got it to work, then I wrote it in a loop and kind of created my first bug. It was in a loop and the ball just crashed, 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 but I didn't know how to stop it. So I had to go to the teacher and get her to come and show me how to fix my bug and what was that in do you remember what it was programmed in it, it it's kind of embarrassing but it was it was in basic okay okay very simple you know just no gooey just a simple kind of command line stuff but and how did your parents respond I mean it sounds like your mom was very encouraging was there any um hesitation from either of them about your interest in going into computers or anything more technical than being a teacher they were always very uh, encouraging. I think that just their main thing was make sure that this is what you want. Um, so once once I kind of had gone through the exercise of of creating those programs, then there wasn't any there wasn't any looking back after that. And did you feel after you did that first one, even though there was bugs in it, did you feel like that? What was if you recall like your I guess for lack of a better word like emotion around that like you were excited about what you were doing you were excited about just that it was something new you knew that you wanted to continue going down a path in that your for your career or you just knew "Eh, I like this more than teaching so let me continue to see how it plays out I think part of it is just being able to kind of figure out problems and it's that same logic that you that I took with more applied math the theoretical wasn't quite as interesting to me but being able to like figure out a problem and then kind of dig through and then solve it, it gave me it gave me a lot of satisfaction. And just seeing the kind of popularity on computers, I was like, you know, I'd be able, I'd like to be able to build something that that works and on the things that that I'm like searching for or a program that I'm using on the computer. So I felt like that was very interesting, but also aligned with my roots from really my love of math. And did it ever, I'm going to jump around a little bit here, but to continue to kind of play on this career piece, did you ever, once you started down that path, did that just kind of evolve to where you are now? Or at any point did you kind of go sideways from the, from computers? I didn't change, but there were points in my career that I was like, I don't, I don't know if really maybe I should continue doing this. So those different points I kind of had to pause and there were other directions that was kind of laid in in front of me and like should I do something different Um, it wasn't until several years into my career that I got to that point so take me through because that's definitely something I I think is going to be valuable to talk about take me through kind of the career progression from graduating college what you did after school and then we'll get to at what points you kind of had fork in the road moments 
Uh, after graduating college, I was I had an internship, but I, I eventually took a position uh, consulting, and that consulting job, when you you know hear people talk about you know you're a director, but that first job it actually didn't work out, and in that I learned kind of the hard. Uh, the hard part about consulting is you know, you've got to have a billable hours. So that lasted for two or three months, and they didn't. They lost the contract that they were expecting to get. Mm-hmm. And then me being out of college, I wasn't very marketable to, to work on a lot of different, a lot of different projects. So after that ended, I kind of had to go back into the job search right right away. But uh, I did get the job. At, at Schneider Electric, and that's where I kind of started my programming career. And I was a software engineer for 10 years, and then I moved into management. I've kind of been in that management space since then. And it was at that 10-year point, uh, there's like two points that I really thought about pivoting. So at about 10 years, uh, I was considering maybe going for my MBA uh, or having another child. So I, I've got two children, so mm-hmm. I elected to have the second <laughs> child. So that I kind of like, oh, I don't think I'll go for my MBA. So I stuck with that. Your child's listening and is like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my son. It's, uh, he's very sweet. I love him. Um, She's smiling <laughs> ear to ear if anyone could see her. And so I decided, I was like, well, I think I'll stay with it longer. And there were always different times that it's very well-rounded. So people would talk to me about maybe you should go into different positions. So at about that 10-year mark, I had my son, and then and then there were different openings that were coming up. I was like, no, I'm an engineer. I want to stay in engineering. And then the opportunity for me to move into management, and then that was even with some hesitation because when you kind of move from management, it's, it's definitely a different kind of problem. You're dealing with people problems versus solving technical ones. Uh, you still get involved, but it's not to the same level. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the opportunity came, and I decided to go ahead and take it. Um, but then after being in management for a number of years, I guess it was about five years in, I was kind of like, what, what's really next? So what's that growth? I'm a really good manager, um, but I can't see like that next progression. So in talking with uh, my manager at the time, I'd, I'd been managing a certain, the same group. I'd also taken on responsibility to another team out of another office. So I saw the growth there, but it didn't really seem like what's logically next. So at my company, what they had prescribed is to really grow, I needed to either go into a sales or marketing role. But I felt, uh, I basically kind of took that feedback as like, all right, let me think about what I really want to do here. Um, and I don't disagree with at, at the company, that's where I needed to go. But when I looked at the overall job landscape, I felt like the industry as a whole still needed lot of people with my expertise and also got feedback outside that they're like you with your experience you're going to have more opportunities to grow so it was what was the logic of not to cut you off but real Mm -hmm. quick what was the logic of the sales and marketing from uh, the company's perspective or your manager's perspective at that time just to diversify your skill set yes so looking at the more director or vp level people that were at my company they they're more of those that are either coming from sales or marketing. There are some of those in a more technical role, but they're very, very few and harder to get to get into, especially at that current location that I was at. It was, okay. You would have to maybe move. And, and so just looking at the opportunities, there would be more that I would have if I went that route. Okay. 
So you opted not to do that. So I, mm -hmm. I got you off track a little bit, but so you opted not to take that sales marketing mm -hmm. path. And mm -hmm. then how, where did you head? So from there, that's when I looked and ended up going to Eventbrite. So I moved into a senior management role and at Eventbrite, it's been uh, awesome opportunities. And so I've been able to grow now to where I started off uh, managing a small team of six people. I mean, I had to take a step back because I had uh, 20 people at my previous company. Um, but taking a step back to basically take a couple of steps forward. Um, and so where it stands now is um, managing five teams across two different locations and uh, 20 people overall, uh, two managers, and we're going to continue growing. Um, it's it's just put me on that trajectory, kind of take the experiences that I have and continue to grow. Do you feel like you're, and I guess you would never know the alternative otherwise, but do you feel like you made the right choice or you're where you're supposed to be in terms of fulfilling like what you're actually at this point in your life feel is the greatest skill set that you have? I, I don't have any regrets. I think that I probably would have been successful. I don't know if it would have been as successful, and I definitely feel like it's very fulfilling kind of staying staying more down the technical path than even where I am now. I, I get a good balance of working in strategy, working with product design, uh, being a very kind of overall well-rounded individual from a, from a technical standpoint and strategic standpoint. That's where I really want to be. And to kind of go in those other spaces, I probably would have had to let go of some of those more uh, things that I enjoy from a technical standpoint. So <clears throat> I'm going to go backwards. Excuse me. I'm going to go backwards a little bit, back to just a, a little bit to touch on something from when you were a kid. What do you remember either from your mom or from your dad together or as individuals that they gave you or taught in lessons, not physical objects, gave you or taught you that you think has carried through to who you are today and how does it impact who you are as a person, as somebody at work, as a mom, as a wife, as a friend, as whatever? I think some of that is is a work ethic and some of that comes from working on a farm. Um, raising tobacco, there it's a long <laughs> cycle. It's seasonal, you kind of work there's what you do at the beginning, in the middle, at the end, and it's some of the hardest work you're, you're working in the heat, it, it's dirty, it's, and you also you can't stop. So if we've got, you know, crops on the ground, we've got to get them picked up before nightfall because we can't leave them out. So there's the part about, you know, working hard and seeing what, what happens, and then there's getting the job done. Um, and the second thing I'll say is my parents, they didn't like necessarily like give, like I would ask for things, but they wouldn't necessarily give it to me. They're like, well, if you're willing to meet me halfway, it's like, you want the money for this thing, but I'll give you this much, but you need to work to get the other half. So I think a combination of those things, it's kind of, it's made me a little, a uh, little bit determined when it comes to if there's a task at hand and willing to kind of put in the effort and work to get there. And how, how young were you? Do you remember how young you were when you started having chores to do on the farm? Uh, probably six or seven. I mean, old enough to do, they would give, something. Any, any, give me something. <laughs> any kind of task. I mean, the ones that I remember, especially uh, working 
in tobacco, it would be I would pick up pick up the whenever we were cutting and spiking, it would be literally you you cut the tobacco, and then you need to put it on a stick to hang it in the barn. So I would pick up the tobacco and then hand it to my dad, um, so to to save them from having to bend over and pick it up. So that's kind of one of the earlier things um, that I would help with, and then it was helping with the cows, whether it's moving a moving a fence. There's always something that yeah. you had to do. What if uh, now I'm just curious? What if you what if the tobacco stays laying on the ground? Like mm-hmm. what happens? It just doesn't like what happens it, over time. It's gonna so after you cut it, it's going to wilt, and so that's the good thing to kind of get it up, but it'll it'll damage it you want to get it to where it's like hanging up and so it will dry out and then eventually once it dries out then you pull the leaves off and that's what you will take to sell okay so can you milk a cow i have not milked we did not have dairy cows so we (laughs) i've not milked a cow but i have fed a bottle calf so so there were sometimes they would bring they would go to the market to sell cows and they might buy a bottle calf that it's basic for a dairy cow. They don't keep their calves, so we would like, or they may have sold the calf for whatever reason. So we'd bring those home, okay, and feed the bottle to those. Um, or if if a cow had twins, which it sounds like it's a really great thing. Hey, I've got two instead of one. Yeah, but usually the mother rejects one of the two. So oh, if no. if they get rejected, then we'll take them bottle feed one of those and that's that's always fun because then they'll like come up to you and yeah like you fed me, you <laughs> <Yes>. saved me. <laughs> I recognize you <laughs> um all right I've gotten way off track because mm-hmm. I could ask a million more questions mm-hmm. about about the farm life because that's really interesting to me but um jumping back to uh present day Loretta what is the best thing about your job the best thing it's a combination of things there's the people that I work with are amazing uh they from my manager to my peers to the team members that i have um and just this nashville location that they were welcoming from from the start um it's a very it's a very very open and learning environment so if i have a question you want to learn something then somebody's there to help you um, then the other part is if you if there's something that you want to go do, uh, I know like early on it's like, hey, I see a problem, you know, do you mind if I spend some time on this? And the answer I got was a resounding yes, and tell me what you need to help to help you. So it's very supportive and learning, um, and just the opportunities that I've had is I just can't imagine if I hadn't come to Eventbrite if I would have gotten them. Is there anything that jumps out in your mind? And I know you said earlier that you don't have any regrets about what you've, the, the path that you've taken. Is there anything in your mind that jumps out if you were talking to Loretta, whether it's five years ago, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, whatever it is? Is there anybody? Is there anything that jumps out in your mind in terms of ah, I might have done that differently, or I learned from that that next time that situation comes up, I'm not going to do that again. So like one or two things that pop out in your head or not necessarily I didn't really understand the importance of relationship when it whenever I think about my career and where I feel like I kind of got stuck in the career growth I didn't really have a plan for something else I'd always imagined 
you know, it's, it's like in school, you know, you do your homework, you show up to class on time, you do good work, then you're going to get the reward of your, of your labor. But there's a point when you get to a certain part of your career where that doesn't necessarily happen. Uh, I, I wasn't very good at, you know, selling myself or even, you know, acknowledging my accomplishments, but also thinking, you know, I always relied on my manager to kind of find that next opportunity. I didn't own it myself. And to get those next opportunities, there's one quote, I can't remember what book that it came from, but you only get as far as your network will take you. Mm-hmm. And I, I did not have a strong network. I wasn't thinking about, um, you know, what what is next or what skills I needed to build. What's your advice or perspective on that entire piece, like advocating for yourself versus being overly cocky about something? Like, where's the balance between that and and how do you advise people do that in an appropriate professional way? I think the best advice that I had gotten is if I'm going into a conversation where I want to make that ask is I've, I've had some great friends and mentors that I can bounce those ideas off of. And those mentors have helped me kind of form how do I have that conversation. So there's, there's a right way to have it and then there's a wrong way. Uh, it's kind of going in and saying, I should be promoted. I think there's a, a point where you do want to say that, but if you come off and kind of say that right out versus it's a better conversation to say, I'm really interested in the business and I want to understand how that I can help us continue to grow. Um, and with an ask for, you know, if there's something that's open that, you know, I'd be interested in that, or if I'm not there yet, what feedback would you give me to help me grow in the right direction? And then as far as the promotion goes and whether you're advocating for yourself is you've you've got to have those conversations at the right time. So the best time is like you do something great. (laughs) It's not a great time. So whenever it's not a great time is um, I need the money. It shouldn't be about money uh, or or titles. It's kind of how how you really go and phrase it. It's like, hey, I've done some really great things. Can we talk about what career progression looks like here? Um, and whenever you phrase it like that, it doesn't come from a more egotistical place. It comes from a, from a place of interest and a place of, because your manager wants you to grow as well. So it's getting buy-in from them, like help me grow because I'm also interested in taking part in that. And what would be, so that's obviously a major takeaway that you've got from people throughout your career and from your mentors. What are some other um, things that you've, learned from your mentors or anyone in particular that jumps out to you as have been a significant, played a significant role um, for you? I'll talk about one of my first mentors, uh, Roxana Spenson. And I'll admit that she was two doors down for me and I always wanted to talk with her, but I was afraid to go have that conversation. And it wasn't until my manager actually gave me a goal to find a mentor and whenever he put that goal on me as one of my objectives I knew exactly who who I wanted to be so I I finally got the courage up to ask her Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um, had lunch with her felt like we had some good rapport and then I asked if she would help me and in that conversation once I started meeting with her regularly it was eye-opening I had no idea what it meant to get to the level that she was at. She was a director of engineering, like 200, 200 employees split, spread all across 
the globe. And you were at what? Where were you? Like I was a manager. I think about three years or so in. Okay. And I didn't really understand how things worked. So she she explained to me that she didn't like wait for that opportunity to come to her. Like she was part of providing that proposal and solution. Like this is what a solution looks like. This is how I want to be a part of it and kind of form what that organization looks like. And she talked about like key people that I need to uh, have those conversations with. And I never had thought about what that having those conversations proactively because you know you hear this announcement in organization change and then this person gets a great opportunity it's like how did that happen (laughs) they never posted that job (laughs) right so it's like how do you get those jobs that are never posted right Mm -hmm. and that's how Mm -hmm. then you learned you either have the relationship and they think of you before it's posted or you're part of providing the solution to the problem that they want to solve that's really good Mm -hmm. advice that's really good advice i don't think that like you said, people, I don't think that's intuitive to people. I think that sometimes, and again, I'm not going to generalize men or women because I think both struggle with this, but I've certainly seen where it's like, okay, they'll recognize me. Like when the time comes, they'll recognize me and I'll get that promotion. And then somebody else gets it. And you're kind of like, oh, maybe I should have spoken up or said something or been part of the process to come up with that solution. And one thing that's really important about relationships is it allows you to have the information that you need. And some with women, not ha- and I think that women are not great about thinking about the relationships that you need to have. So if you don't have the information, then you can't, you're not even thinking about some of those problems that are ahead of you. So that kind of goes hand in hand with being able to put those proposals out there. I think that is a excellent point so I want to just spend a little bit more time on that because I don't I I don't know if the people necessarily think of it in the way that you just framed it up which Mm -hmm. is okay if if I have knowledge of something then it just creates a better framework for me to then be able to make a suggestion make a proposal how if people like so how do you advise or what's your suggestion on the information piece like I mean, do you go up to people and just ask them to go to lunch, go to coffee, build relationships? Like, what's the appropriate way, if you know the direction that you want to head, to try to start to create a path to get there? It Generally, first, I start thinking about just getting to know the person. So it's purely informational, uh, informational talking about, like, what's their career like? What do they do? everyone is always willing to talk about themselves (laughs) and showing. And then there's also like wanting to get to know them personally. Um, So, so so you have to have both pieces to really form that a really strong relationship. And then after, and it it may be coffee, it can be lunch, it can be a one-on-one. And then if there's that mutual interest or you, you kind of, you kind of know that, that this is going to be something you need to build on, then then you kind of can regularly talk. And then it goes both ways. You can share information with them, and then they can share information with you. Um, or if it's offering some help, uh, that's another way. Is like it may be something that this person is struggling with. It's like, how can I help? And then if you're able to kind of lean in and help them with the problem, that's another way to strengthen that relationship. There's this 
I guess, concept of an emotional piggy bank. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you make those deposits in that emotional piggy bank, then if you need, if you have an ask, if you need to influence somebody, if that piggy bank is full or if, or on the flip side, if something goes wrong, you may not get <laughs> ripped apart as bad. Uh, if you've put that investment in that emotional piggy bank, then you're able to be more influential. They will share information with you and you're able to help one another going forward. You hit on another thing that I think is really important. There's a relationship balance. Relationships, like we're all people and relationships are relationships and and sometimes in the business context, I think sometimes it can get lost of you're just getting to know a person and see what can help them from a personal side, from a professional side. It's It's not always with the intent of having some significant agenda behind it is really important no and and even the peers that I have I want to help them in their careers it's not it's not all about me so that's the other mind shift if it's if it's about you and you only when you're going into these relationships then it it's not going to work um and especially if you're thinking about networking outside that's a mistake that I originally made if you kind of go into the conversation of I need a job or can you help me with this then then you're really putting yourself in a tough position. It needs to be kind of the reverse of how can I help you? And eventually, you know, whenever I kind of figured that out, people offered to help me without me asking. And that's whenever you help someone else, then then that's what will happen is like you'll you'll get it'll come back to you um, eventually. It's like business really. It's like business karma. Like mm-hmm. if you just have good intent to be helpful where you can and then other people are likely to be helpful to you when they can. And unfortunately, I work with really good people, so I'm yeah, sure that there's true. plenty of people maybe listening to say that that didn't happen. <laughs> that's true. That's true. We're both lucky in that respect. Then. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit because I, I didn't mention it earlier, but the, the swarm of things that you're recognized for, I'm going to run through them real quick, and then I want to talk specifically about some, some stuff. So Emerging Leader of the Year by the Greater Nashville Tech Council – Involved with Women Get It, Program Chair, uh, Nashville Business Journal 2018 Women of Influence, and then you at the uh, Hopper by One, you were a speaker in Seattle. Was that last year? It was earlier this year. Earlier this year. Did I miss anything there? I mess anything up in those? Okay. So I want to talk about the, uh, the talk in Seattle, Ascending the Glass uh, Escalator. So talk a little bit about what that is. I came up with that concept. It it's a lot of it's based upon some of the learnings that I had in my career. Um, and to kind of lay it out is I didn't understand that there's a combination of the environment and the individual for career growth. And it's kind of this formula that I've put together or a framework, I should say, that I call is the, the escalator. And it's the opposite of the glass ceiling. So the glass ceiling, of course, that we all know is like you get stuck, you really don't understand why you can't break through and get to that next level. The glass escalator, it's, it's what allows you to ascend quickly um, to those next positions. So that framework is an in individual, there's certain things that you need to recognize, whether it's skills, it's performance, or it could be a variety of things that you need to do uh, within yourself to be ready or to get to that next position. Uh, and I focused only on kind of the individual pieces uh, a lot in my career. 
Um, but early on, I think that that's something that's very specific. You gotta, if you're an engineer, it's like maybe you, you want to go in this direction. You gotta develop skills in backend or maybe architecture. Um, but the other part is I really missed was the environment. When you think about the environment, what I didn't understand is how important your manager is, how important the relationships you have, and then the other part is the the business growth. Because um, even if you're like a rock star, but it's a position they have to create for you, then you may not necessarily get it, even though you might be the right next the next one in line. Um, and then also having uh, a supportive network, whether it's at home or through friends and family. So a combination of those things is the, the framework that I talk about. And the other point I'll make is that that concept and framework changes over time. So as you kind of ascend one glass escalator, it's adjusting and changing that framework as you want to get to the next level. And is that a, a self, you're making those assessments as an individual based on where you want to go? And how do you account for your blind spots in that? So yes, uh, as an individual, and the blind spots is I rely on a lot of other people. It's feedback that you can get directly or mentors that I can talk through to understand. And uh, unfortunately, I had to learn a few of those lessons a little bit the hard way. So my hope <laughs> is that I can give, uh, give someone the framework to kind of understand and evaluate themselves and where they need to go. How do you... I'm having flashbacks to, to you and, and whatever the, the moment was that uh, your mom's friend, right? It was your mom's friend that gave you the book on programming? <laughs> gave you the book on programming. So if that never happens, I get really cheesy with like the ripple effects of everything in our life, right? So if that never happens, maybe you don't fast forward to be who you are today to then start talking about like stuff that you're talking about that then might affect other people in their lives what do what is your perspective on uh, women in technology and uh, how do we continue to get more women in technology if nothing else for the uh, the benefit of diversity across the board because I would say that diversity of any kind brings better products to the market um, how do we how do we do that or do you think that women in technology is not a challenge I think it's still a challenge today. I think there's a lot of programs in place. There's a lot of encouragement to bring women into tech. You know, there's there's more women that are coming in and are interested than when I was in programming. However, the challenge that I see is it, it starts in our schools. I have a 16-year-old daughter, and she she took uh, one of her first classes. It's a, it's a networking class. And she was one of only two females. I think there's still that perception out there that it's not, it's a guy thing. It's not, it's not for girls. And until we really make those changes and have it where it's open for everyone, then I think that, you know, women are still going to be behind. I think we'll, we'll have programs, we'll, we'll get women in, but it'll be a little bit late to the game and it won't be balanced out. Um, and so when I say the, the balance is missing, if, if guys are programming when they're in middle school and high school and then we don't get women interested until they're either out of college or really late in college, then we're, we're, still, not, we're still not balancing those numbers out. So it really starts at the school age level uh, in which we have those programs that are available and, and 
and I think culturally we've even got to change that perception too. And, and what is your perspective on uh, women in leadership roles? Oh, with women in leadership, that's also another, I don't want to call it a challenge, it's an opportunity. There you go. <laughs> and I think women do get opportunities to kind of move into that first level of management because I think women are thought of like being very good at working with people. Um, so I think those will continue to be there, but it's, it's it, I'll say it was a struggle to get to director. And it, you don't find very many at director or even VP level. Uh, and it's for those other pieces, like knowing how it's politics um, and how to kind of change uh, as you get further in your career. And then, and then there's the environment. you got to have an environment where, where it's welcoming of, of uh, developing women. Not to say some environments are not, but if, if there's that boys club, it, it's really tough. Mm-hmm. How, when you go back, were you a valedictorian in high school? Yes. Or, okay. Mm-hmm. When you go, when you look at, um, like when you were in high school versus uh, your your daughters in high school now or middle high school? High school. Mm-hmm. When you look at the comparison of those two, do you think that there's been a significant shift or do you think that it's still, uh, granted there's a long way to go, but have you seen movement even since when you were there? I think there's a lot of talk. I, I think we talk about it. It's more awareness. I, I don't, we didn't even have any awareness. We, we didn't even know what the, the numbers were or even the value. Uh, where we stand today, uh, I think there are a lot of schools that are starting more programs and being more encouraging, but there's still a lot, a lot of work left to do. Uh, I think at the end of the day, we will eventually get to the point to where every school will have an AP computer science program. That's what I would like to see. Um, and those programs are open and encouraged for for everyone um but that's a cultural piece i think that's that's a strong thing i'm concerned about too what advice would you give yourself if you uh your younger self or anybody let's say that's just graduating college or early in their career if you could give one or two pieces of advice what would those be that's a good question i think if i if i had to give myself one or two pieces of advice. Uh, I know I was pretty tough on myself, so I'd probably say first, <laughs> don't don't be so tough on yourself. It'll work out. Um, the other part that that I would give give to myself is, um, you know, trust your gut on on some things. I think I have a good good instincts on what what I need to kind of kind of stick to not not giving up so it's like don't be so hard on yourself and then don't give up on the direction you want to go um, and take those lessons with you each each step of the way don't see a mistake as necessarily a mistake it's a learning opportunity and, and what do you, you you said something earlier when you made a, um, a move at some point in your career that from a an outsider's perspective I'll say and I'm, I'm not I don't want to put words in your mouth but that you took a step back maybe it was in terms of the number mm-hmm. of people that you were managing can you can you talk a little bit about that and just the value of you don't always have to just I don't know how to say it, climb a corporate ladder necessarily if there's other areas of opportunity 
what might be perceived as a step back, if it's ultimately helping you to get to your long-term goals, then that's okay. I think someone described it as maybe a lattice instead of a ladder. And I really like that visual thought. And whenever, whenever I think about making that, that step or that move, I knew where I was at before in my previous position and I wasn't learning. And so whenever I get to the point to where I'm not learning, I, know, I knew I needed to change. So even, even though, you know, I kind of look at responsibility-wise, I was kind of struggling with it a bit. Um, whenever I think they would offer me any job at Eventbrite because I always wanted to work here, I would have taken it. <laughs> and, and I knew that I'd learn. I was like, I got, and I've learned so much since I've been here. How do you, how do you define success? Success for me, it's about the impression that I leave with the people that I work with. Um, meeting business goals and and the last thing is you know what what have I learned and what how have I progressed through through whatever journey that I'm going through so if if I don't if I don't the people stuff is, is I'll say it's very important to me is I don't you know, if you achieve all the business goals, but there's a wake of people that you kind of leave <laughs> as a result of that, I think that's not a good thing. Uh, that's one thing I've appreciated as a manager is whenever I still stay in contact with some of the people that I've worked with or have worked for me, and whenever I've seen them grow as a result, uh, that's been really special. But at the end of the day, you still you still got to be profitable. Mm-hmm. So uh, having those two things are definitely one things that I measure for success. And what's the, can you speak a little bit to the, the integration? Obviously you're very passionate about your work and I know that you're also very passionate about your family. Can you speak a little bit to the integration of those two and I'm air quoting balance because I don't personally like to use the word balance, but the balance of having the, the, just the integration of those two being real, your career being important to you and your family being important to you. And as a mom, if those ever have challenges or not. <laughs> Definitely. It's been easier with my kids being where they are now. Whenever the kids were small, that was probably when it was really tough. Um, because you know, when they're little, you know, they're, they're waiting for mom to get home. And you know, when they're small, you've you got to make sure that you, you kind of got to stop. <laughs> and then, kind of segment the time with your kids and not not you know be be on calls but as as it is now it it is more of an integration um it's but I can take the time that I need for my family like I need to go to a doctor's appointment tomorrow then I'll stop uh or I need to spend you know this amount of time with my kids I'm going to take them out and do something fun but then there's also times like hey we really got we're behind on stuff at work and then I need to spend that time um doing this thing so it you know balance is like the tough word but I like to think about making sure that I have quality time Mm -hmm. with my family that I'm present I think that's the one thing that's important is I've got to turn the thoughts of work off and be present or hey I've, I've answered all these emails you know give me this amount of time I need to finish up this one thing and then I'm present once I'm with my family 
All right, so tell me before we go into rapid fire a little bit. I know it's an organization that you're very involved with. Uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, Women Get It. So I'll talk a little bit about our mission, how it got started, and the types of events that we do. Uh, Women Get It, uh, our mission is to diversify the, the tech industry with open dialogue, a unified, supportive community, and mentorship. And we do that through our events. But before I talk about our events, I want to talk about how the group got founded. And it started with uh, a conversation between some of our co-founders in which uh, one of our co-founders was looking for a job. She had a master's degree in information systems, and she had trouble finding a job. Wow. She, I mean, you couldn't, can't imagine that today, but she almost took something in sales. And whenever she started having a conversation with, with one of uh, the other women, that's whenever they decided that, that we need to do something about it. And in determining what to do, they, they talked about the, the problems that were, were out there. It's like, how do we add women to the world of technology? How do we engage women that are in the verge of leaving? And then how do we make it less intimidating? Because I think that's also a part of it. So as they started talking, they, they wanted to create this community in which it's not your normal networking event, but we also have a community in where you can find ways to ask the hard questions or find mentors, because that's one of the more difficult things. So for me, um, whenever I heard about Women Get It, I started going to our events, and our events are organized such that it's not a panel, uh, and it's not quite a workshop but what we have is we have a table leader and that leader brings a bit of knowledge or experience that they have and then you're invited to sit at that table with them so you're going to have conversations not only with this table leader that has this vast industry experience but you're also learning from others that are joining you at the table so what i found is whenever i went to those events that not only did I get to know the person that was at the table, but I would also have coffee with the other person that also maybe struggled with the same thing. So I found a lot of benefit in going to those events because at that point I was really struggling in my career when I started going to Women Get It. And they, they call me their success story. <laughs> <laughs> if you think about, like, I was starting off, like, I couldn't even introduce myself. So I came in and started thinking about how to introduce myself, how to talk about myself. And then coming back to where I am today, where I've won, like, awards, you know, two years in a row. And then yeah. now, you know, getting to the point where I am in my career. I don't think I could have been there without some of the advice and the people that shared their experience with me through Women Get It. I love that. I love that. It seems like a very impactful organization. It's, it's been great to be a part of it. You had mentioned some stuff going on in Eventbrite that, uh, that you're a part of. So what's that? One thing I've started is it's what you call a business resource group. Uh, and what we call it at Eventbrite is it's the Brightling Belonging Group. <laughs> and it's for underrepresented uh, categories and different people. So in this case, uh, when I started at Eventbrite, I noticed that there was, you know, lower engagement with women in engineering, and I started a conversation around like, how can we change this? Uh, and I'll say, at my previous company, we had a business resource group, so I knew what that was like. I was uh, the president of it, but they didn't have that here at Eventbrite. So after 
I started, you know, conducting some meetings and having some conversations. You know, I basically asked, you know, do we want to keep meeting? Uh, and I also had the similar thing at my previous company. So what we did was I, I worked with that group. We formed uh, a mission. We determined what our goals are. And we were meeting as one group. But as it stands today, we've broken it out into different chapters across different locations at Eventbrite. And we've got four different chapters that are meeting today. Like across in your different locations? Yes. Two, two in uh, North America, or actually five, because I need to count. There's two actually in Spain um, and one in Mendoza, Argentina. And our uh, basically our mission is to empower women at Eventbrite through coaching, mentorship, and, a, and an inclusive community. Um, the goals that we have are around coaching and mentorship, uh, community bonding, and career development. And each one of those chapters, they, they basically work with the members there and develop either programs or activities to basically either help you in your career or help you feel like you belong. Um, and we've seen a, a large benefit out of that. Uh, the people that have joined and been a part of it, it's, it's been great. Um, I've... I've really seen a lot of benefit out of just creating something just from the ground up and seeing how the different programs that we've run uh, has really benefited. It's so important and beneficial and you just keep like reinforcing it with, with all the important stuff that you're doing to be either in a company or in an environment, and you've said the word environment multiple times to this interview, but a company or environment that supports you and not not you you mm -hmm. but you figurative you whoever's out there supports you and or a direct supervisor that supports you like that it, that's such an important thing to somebody's career growth 100 percent. yeah and when you you think about support and sometimes you think about trying to it's not just women that you need to support you you need men mm -hmm. that will support you just as equally as uh, having women that are that are examples for you. And I, I would not, without the men that we have at Eventbrite, I would not be where I am or have the opportunity to develop something as women in software engineering that we have here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you gotta have the support, it's true, to make sure that across the board, not only the organization, but there's a, uh, there's a lot of good men out there that are very supportive of initiatives to help diversify the workplace, so. Um, just because I'm curious now, how many offices, you just said it, but to recap, does Eventbrite have? I don't know if people realize how big Eventbrite is from an international perspective. We have 14 offices across 11 different countries. Wow. Uh, however, I will say that our, we have different engineering offices. Uh, we have offices in, I'll talk about just engineering specifically, in San Francisco, Vancouver, here in Nashville, in Mendoza, Argentina. And then also in Vienna and Madrid, Spain. Wow, I had I well I knew that like as of recently, but I would not have known that unless you would have told me recently. So. Yes, and the, I know we got a fairly large office in Australia. There's others that are out there. I don't I'm not as familiar with the sales offices, but yeah. Um, but engineering wise, wow, yeah. that's big. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go switch now to uh, actually I'm gonna ask one more question. I lied. One more question. What is, from a address perspective, like when somebody comes in to interview with you, what do you, ex what, how should they dress for, inter for an interview or an office outing? For an interview, 
we we dress. I'm like I'm in jeans and t-shirt mm-hmm. today. You <laughs> so look we're I like it. we're fairly casual. Uh, I think that maybe somebody dressing like one step above that. Maybe it's a nice pair of pants and a nice nice blouse or a nice shirt. Uh, if it's an outing, then I'm kind of in the same way. I'm like jeans and t-shirt. Um, if I maybe you know speaking in an event, you know I'll dress up a little bit more, but in general I'm pretty casual. So a notch a notch above what the corporate culture is for an interview is a safe way to play it. Yes. All right. Okay, I'm going to switch to rapid fire questions. So these are totally random. Uh, just whatever first answer is that comes to mind. Brick or stone? Brick. Carpet or hardwood? Carpet. Sky or grass? Sky. Beach or ocean? Beach. Fire or ice? Fire. And the last one, Netflix or cable? Netflix. Netflix or Hulu? Netflix. All right. This is the Lauren Asgari podcast. And again, my guest was Loretta Stokes. Thank you so much for doing this. It's fantastic. Thank you for having me on. This has been really great. Absolutely. And we'll see you next time.